right. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. It is so, so, so good to be with you here today. And, uh, you know, before I jump into my message, I want to announce something kind of officially. Uh, you may have been watching us on social media, and, and we announced this about a week ago or so. But actually, City First is launching a brand new location in Janesville, Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen. And... Uh, and, and it's amazing because you're a part of a growing church, you know, and we're wanting to reach more people with the good news of, of Jesus, that, that you know what, he, he is a rescuer, he loves us, he saves us, and uh, there is hope and purpose in this hopelessly broken world because of him. And so we are going to be launching uh, Janesville, and I just want to say, if you would like to be a part of that, like some of you live in southern Wisconsin, or maybe in the Janesville area, uh, maybe even your watching right now from like the Janesville area or somewhere around there, there is a QR code and I would love for you to take out your smartphone and just go ahead and take a picture of that and let it link you to an information page. We'd love to get your information. This does not commit you, all right? So if you do this, you're not saying I'm in, you just want more information about it because what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a core of City First Church people there to help us launch this and it's going to be very exciting what God is going to do. And so you know what? Uh, again, be praying, church, about Janesville. Be praying that God gives us favor and that this becomes such a strong location that many people find out about Jesus. So one more time, give God a round of applause because he's growing his church. It's so great. So great. Well, you know, at church, many times you come to church and you hear, you hear language like this. You hear somebody say, you know what? You got to have faith. You gotta have faith. And, and we all go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I need more faith. But here's the question, how do you get more faith? Like, how do you really do that? Because a lot of people will be like, okay, I want more faith. Well, what do I, what do, I do? How do I get it? Do I go to some place and, you know, get filled up in faith? Well, yeah, you go to church, that's definitely. But, but, but you know, is there more to that? That's a great, great question. Well, you know, there's a story, kind of a modern-day parable that I heard, and it, it goes like this. Uh, there was one time a man who owned a house in a valley. It was a low-lying area. In fact, the whole town was in this valley, and, and they were having a very wet season where storms were rolling through, and a lot of water was being, you know, dumped into the valley because of rain and storms and things like that. Well, there was this really torrential downpour that was happening, and the valley began to fill up with water, and the town evacuated because it was beginning to flood, and so... It got pretty, pretty bad, in fact, so much so that the roads were flooded and, and a, a sheriff's police pulled up to this man's home in a boat, literally, and docked at his front porch and said, sir, you have to evacuate, you need to get in the boat. And the man said, no, 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 uh, I'm not gonna do that. I have faith that God will save me. So the sheriff left. Well, the water began to rise even more, even taking over the first story of this man's home. And the man had to go upstairs to the second story to be able to get out of the, the flood. And, and another man came up in a boat, a neighbor, that said, hey, I heard you're still here. Get in the boat. We got to get out of here. There's a flood. And the man said, no, no, no. I have faith that God is going to save me. 
Well, finally, the floodwaters rose all the way to the point where the man had to get out of the second floor and actually on top of the roof of his home to be safe. And the rain is continuing to come down. And there he is, wet, sitting on the top of his roof. And the National Guard came, the Air National Guard, with a helicopter and said, Sir, you have to take... Uh, cover. We're going to lower uh, you know, a rope to you, get in the basket, and we're going to get you out of here. And the man shouted up and said, no, I have faith that God is going to save me. Well, the man drowned. <laughs> and he stands before God. And he comes into the, in, into the pearly gates and he says, God, I had faith that you were going to save me. Why did I die? And God replied, I did send you two boats and a helicopter. You know that, right? So many times when we think of faith, we make it this mystical, spooky, Star Wars force kind of thing. But rather, many times, faith is just practical obedience and choices that you make in everyday life. So we're gonna talk about faith today, and we're gonna talk about what it really is. And, and, and let me start off by saying what it's not, all right? Faith is not living by luck. And faith is not head in the clouds, denying reality. Sometimes I talk to Christians and they're like, you know, uh, they want to have faith, so they deny their reality. Like, for example, if they're sick, they're like, you know, I don't want to admit that I'm sick because somehow that means that I don't have faith. No, that's not true. You look in the New Testament, Jesus encountered a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, and he comes up to the blind man and he goes, what do you want? And the blind man goes, I want to see. The blind man didn't go, hey, I can see just fine. Do you mind healing me? No, instead... The man admitted, I'm blind, I cannot see. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. So it's not just head in the clouds denying reality. No, we live in a hopelessly broken world. We need to have faith because of the brokenness that we live in. Also, faith is not access to a divine genie that lives in a bottle in the sky somewhere and is gonna grant us three wishes either. Also, faith, at least in my my experience has not always been this warm, fuzzy feeling. Sometimes like, ooh, I have faith, you know? Now, sometimes it's like I'm hanging on for dear life. That's faith. So here's the thing. Faith today, we're going to boil it down. We're going to make it basic, elementary. But don't let those words basic and elementary make you think that somehow those words are synonymous with unimportant. Because sometimes it's the basic things it's the elementary things that are very profound. And we put those into play and it changes our lives. So, so faith really is the very foundation of our relationship with Jesus. In fact, I would even say it this way. Without faith, we don't have our faith. <laughs> Without faith, we don't have our faith. We, we, you know, faith is important. In fact, if you go to the Greek word faith, which is pistis, all right, that word means this. It means a strong and welcome conviction or belief that, listen, God exists and that he is the creator and ruler of all things, which means he's in charge, and that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. 
And so what that word kind of boils down to, now I'm going to make that a little bit more bite-sized so we can remember it, because I don't know about you, you just saw it on the screen, you probably didn't memorize it. So, so let's do this. Let's make it memorable. Let's make it kind of simple. What does the Greek word pistis mean? Well, in kind of like our modern day language, it means this, that, that you know what? Belief that God is in charge and Jesus is our rescuer. In fact, can we just do this? Yeah, you can give that a round of applause. You can give that a round of applause. Keep, keep that up there a minute, okay? Let's all say this together, beginning with the word belief, all right? On the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Belief that God is in charge and Jesus is our rescuer. That's faith. God's in charge, meaning I'm not. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus is my rescuer. He's my savior. He's the one that loves me. Sometimes it's very challenging in this world to believe that God is still in charge. I mean, if you watch the news recently, right? It seems like the world's getting crazy. I say that every year. Like throughout sermons every year, I'm like, the world's kind of getting crazier. And here's the thing. It's always getting crazier than the year before. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's really weird. And, and for me, many times we begin to question, God, are you really in charge? Are you still in control? Are you really in charge? Do you know that Jesus is not surprised by anything happening in the news cycle right now? He really isn't. He's not surprised. He is not surprised about what the conflict in the Middle East and how it's sparking all kinds of reactions around the globe. He's not surprised by that. He, he's not surprised by the Russia-Ukrainian conflict. He's not surprised by inflation. He's not surprised by the friction that you've been experiencing between you and your spouse as of late. He's not surprised about the recent layoff. He's not surprised about the temptation you gave into. He's not surprised about the challenge that you're facing. Now listen, I'm not saying he's not concerned. No, he's very concerned. Neither am I saying is he responsible. Because some people say, well, if he's not surprised, does that mean he's responsible? No, we live in a hopelessly broken world. God did not set up the world to run the way it's running. Sin entered the world, polluted it, made it toxic, and now evil is all over the place. I'm not saying God is, is cool with it at all. In fact, guess what? He is working his will in this hopelessly broken world. So, yeah, but he's not, he didn't wake up all of a sudden and go, whoa, what the heck happened here? He didn't. In fact, I'd say this, nothing surprises Jesus except faith. Oh, I say, what do you mean by that? There are only two accounts in the entire New Testament, the stories of Jesus, where Jesus is surprised. If you study, if you study, he is not surprised. He's not surprised about Judas that betrayed him. He wasn't surprised about that. He wasn't, he wasn't surprised about the, the storm that blew in on the Sea of Galilee and the, the, the disciples were in the boat rocking and water was, he wasn't surprised by that. He, he wasn't surprised about any of these things that we see, these encounters of the Pharisees trying to frame him, the, the demon-possessed man that tried to, to come after him. He wasn't surprised about any of these stories that we read. The only things that he was surprised about, the only two times involved faith. In fact, the Bible says this, he was amazed. That's the word, amazed. In other words, it was a jaw-dropping, wow, moment for Jesus. 
He was marveling at something that was extraordinary. Like, like literally, he was at a loss for words. Faith. Faith. The only times that Jesus was, was amazed, the two times, was faith. Was faith. So we're going to look at these. We're going to look a little bit at these, these times. And, and both times are found in the New Testament. The first time Jesus had uh, just got done preaching his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. All right, now this is like his famous sermon. It actually takes up three chapters of the book of Matthew. Um, I would highly suggest reading it. It's it's amazing, amazing message. But in Matthew chapter eight, right after he preaches, it says this, that Jesus came and entered into Capernaum. Now, where's Capernaum? It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Many of us, uh, you know, believe that have studied the Bible that this is where Jesus lived. Now, he, he was born in Bethlehem. We'll be celebrating that here in about a month and a half, okay? Um, and then he lived in a town called Nazareth. That's where actually Mary and Joseph were from. But once he became an adult, we believe that he moved to the town of Capernaum. So he actually lived in the town of Capernaum, all right? A centurion came to him, it says, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve, listen to the tone here, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. That's all you got to do. Just, just, just say the word. Say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority, which means he works for Rome, all right, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, what's that red word? He was amazed. Amazed and said to those following him. The, the, the other Jewish people that were around him said, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great, what? Faith. What amazes Jesus? Faith. The Roman centurion's faith amazed Jesus. Now, now, listen, Jesus was not amazed by the centurion's position, his power, his money, his number of TikTok followers, none of that, okay? He was amazed by his faith. Now, centurion sounds a lot like century. It, it, it means 100 which a centurion back in Roman days was a, a platoon leader, you could say, over a group of 100 soldiers. So this man was stationed in Capernaum, and he had 100 soldiers reporting to him, and he ruled that area with those 100 soldiers. In fact, if you know anything about historical context here, the Jewish people were being occupied by the Romans, and the Romans did not like the Jewish people. The Jewish people did not like the Romans. They didn't. They kind of put up with each other. They tolerated each other. But the Romans ruled the Roman Empire with an iron fist, you could say. They did it by fear. And isn't it ironic that Jesus just came down from the mount where he preached the, 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 the sermon on the mount, and he just got done talking about loving your enemies. And then he comes down and he models it in front of the group of his followers, Jewish people. He's like, you know what? This centurion, which is the enemy, 
I'm saying, I have, I'm amazed. I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel, in all of Israel. You know, here's this man, the centurion of power and authority, but this is what he recognizes in Jesus. He recognizes Jesus's, this word, authority. Here, the Roman soldier who has authority says, I have authority based upon who I serve from Rome, and there's a 100 men that report to me, and I say go here, and they go there. I say go there, and they go there. I mean, I can snap my fingers, and guess what? They do whatever I say, but Jesus, you have greater authority than I have. Like, I have authority, but your authority, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> the Roman soldier recognized Jesus' authority. Well, what does this infer? It infers that he's been watching Jesus for a long time. Jesus is kind of basing out of this town, Capernaum, and, and, and the centurion is there, and he's been watching Jesus. And, and, and he's been looking from a distance. Can I say this? Some of you in here, you're, you're kind of that right now too. You might be here in one of our auditoriums or maybe you're right now like watching online in your living room or on your smartphone or whatever, and you're just kind of peeking in the window. You're going, is this Jesus guy? Is this real? Is this faith real? Is City First a place that maybe I need to go? And you're just kind of from a distance being curious can I tell you something? We love that here at City First because so many people are doing that. So many people. And this is what I want you to know is that, is that I'm just a person, Jen's just a person, the staff, we're just people, the you know, congregation, just people. What we do is we come together and we are amazed by Jesus. <laughs> and we come together to worship him. So keep coming back. Keep asking questions. Keep being curious about faith. And our prayer is that you find Jesus. So the centurion is convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and can heal his servant. This is really odd, and here's the reason why. If you study any sort of Roman history, um, the two lowest types of people, categories of people in Roman civilization, the ones that have next to no rights are slaves and women. Slaves and women. I don't have time to talk about this, but I always think it's funny when modern day people talk about women's rights or, or rights of those that are marginalized and they, it, they, they almost come up like it's their idea. No, in antiquity, in history, you do not see any sort of advocacy for slaves or women until Jesus came. So here's the thing, don't plagiarize Jesus. Don't take his ideas of social justice and make them your own. Instead, give him credit because he is the one that says everybody has value. That's free. That's a totally different sermon. <laughs> the centurion is saying, will you help my servant? What would, what would give a Roman-like officer compassion for a slave? because they didn't have compassion for slaves. This gives us an indicator on who this guy was. He must have had something in his heart that he's like, you know what, I care about my servant. I care about the people that I am over. Jesus discerns this. 
because most Romans would not care about the slave that was sick. They would kick the slave out onto the street and go get another slave is what they would do. And this, again, this faith amazes Jesus. This is before the centurion goes to church, before he's even been through growth track. The faith of this man amazes Jesus. His belief that God is in charge and that Jesus is a rescuer, this amazes Jesus. Jesus, you can heal my servant. You know, it's very important because having faith and understanding God's authority must walk hand in hand. Faith requires an objective view of who you are in the light of God. Faith requires that you understand and I understand that I'm not in charge, God is. He has authority. Even if you have some authority, you have some success, you have some mojo in this world, whatever it is that you have, guess what? At the end of the day, God is in charge. So we gotta understand that to have faith, it means that we say, you know what? You're in charge, I'm not. The second time that Jesus is amazed, it also involves faith. It's found in Matthew chapter six. Jesus is now visiting his childhood town of Nazareth. So he is now, he's left Nazareth. He probably lives in Capernaum at this point. But now he goes back to his childhood. He goes back to the block, all right? Does that make sense? And he's there, and uh, he, he starts teaching, and everything goes really, really well at first. But the majority of people start to remember his family of origin. You say, well, his family of origin. Yeah, like, like remember how Mary became pregnant outside of wedlock. And this was a big deal back then. If you got pregnant outside of wedlock, actually in this culture, you could actually be stoned. And Jesus is conceived outside of wedlock. Remember the Virgin Mary, right? Okay, so, so they start remembering. They start remembering his family of origin here. And, and, and first Jesus is, is preaching, he's in the synagogue, he's preaching, and everybody's like, wow, they're like, this is amazing. In fact, let's go ahead and look at Mark chapter six. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, that's kind of like the church of the day, and many who heard him were, what's the word? Amazed. They were like, whoa, where did this man get these things? They asked, what's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? But then the tenor changes here. Now, you gotta read the Bible a little slowly. Don't just skim through it. The tenor changes. They're like, wow, this guy is amazing. And then they say this, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter? Because when Jesus was growing up, he most likely was working for his dad, Joseph, as a carpenter. Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? So amazement turns into cynicism, all right? And they took offense, it says. So here's the thing. Isn't this Joseph, Judas, and Simon, the brothers? Jesus did have, by the way, Jesus did have half-brothers, okay? After he was the firstborn, and after that, uh, Mary and Joseph had other kids. Now, we have no indication until Jesus uh, had been resurrected that any of his half-brothers or even sisters even believe he was who he said he was. So at this point in the story, all of his brothers and all of his sisters are cynics. I mean, wouldn't you be too? How about if your brother all of a sudden said, hey, I'm the son of God? 
Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, right, sure, okay? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph, Judas, and Simon's half-brother? Aren't these his sisters that are with us? And they took offense, they took offense, hear this. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles. In other words, their cynicism put a lid on Jesus' ability to do miracles, all right? Goes on to say, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed by what? Their lack of faith. So in one story, Jesus is amazed. Look at this centurion's faith. In the next story, he's amazed. Look at my hometown's lack of faith. They knew who he was. They knew his family. He was familiar. He was just little Jesus that was playing, you know, with a ball growing up over there on that corner. You know, sometimes those of us that have been around church the longest have the hardest time believing because Jesus has become familiar. <laughs> and it's easy to do. At first, these people are amazed. They're like, this, this guy's awesome. He's doing some miracles. This is so great. But then they start asking a bunch of questions. They're like, wait a minute. You know what? This guy performed miracles, but isn't this Mary's kid? Aren't these over here his brothers and sisters and they all don't believe, they all don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And pretty soon their questions led to criticism and cynicism. You're gonna have questions in this life, a lot of them. In fact, you're gonna have some big, hairy, scary questions in this life. You're gonna encounter things in this life that you are not gonna understand and you're gonna ask questions and you're gonna be like, why did this happen? Why did I go through this? What is going on? You have all kinds of questions. And here's the thing. Questions will either drive you towards faith or away from faith. The biggest determining factor on whether you go towards faith or away from faith is who you ask the questions to. It's very important. You're gonna have questions who you ask the questions to. Here are a bunch of cynical, critical people that are in Nazareth, and they have all kinds of questions, and so what do they do? They start asking the questions to each other who also have cynical, critical hearts. What's the result? Offense. I've seen this happen all the time. People come to church. They, they, they you know, get on fire for God, you could say. They, they have a thriving relationship, and then life Life punches them in the mouth, which life will do, by the way. And here's the thing. Life punches them in the mouth. They encounter a situation, and it makes them question, like, wait a minute. God, are you good? God, are you real? God, do you answer prayer? God, is the Bible true? You start asking these questions. But then they find other people who are also asking the same question, and it's just this echo chamber of people asking questions, but no one having answers. And what's the result? Offense. All the time. They become offended at the church. They become offended at the pastor. They become offended at the life group leader. They become offended. One of the definitions of the Greek word for offense is this, is scandalizo. Or I don't want to put the definition up here. It means this, to see in another what I disprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging authority. 
Keep that up there a minute. That's exactly what that word, when it says they began to take an offense, that word is scandalizo. It was written in the Greek originally. It means this, that the people in Nazareth, they couldn't see in Jesus who he was. They only saw what they disapproved of and they would not acknowledge his authority. Isn't that crazy? Now, the word scandalizo is actually a derivative from the word scandalon. Okay, now, uh, I'm going to get a little bit, like, deep on you here, but I, th- I think we're all going to track, all right? So the word scandalizo, which is for offense, is from the word scandalon. Scandalon was kind of a cultural word at the time. A scandalon was actually a stick that was used in a trap. It means this, the movable stick or trigger of a trap a trap stick. This right here in the culture in Greek is a scandalon. This is a scandalon. Isn't it interesting that the word scandalizo comes from the word meaning a stick used to trap? When you become offended, you set a trap. And you get trapped in offense, you get trapped in hurt, you get trapped in bitterness, your freedom is restricted, your joy is limited, your future is limited. When you become offended, you get trapped. And here, the residents of Nazareth were offended and therefore the enemy set a trap. And unlike the centurion who said, I acknowledge Jesus' authority. I'm a man under authority, I have authority, but you have a greater authority, you're in charge, Jesus. Instead, the very opposite, those in Nazareth said, you have no authority. Who are you? Who are you to say these things? And they became offended. Now, when we hear the word authority in America, we don't like that word, because we're cowboys, cowgirls. No one's gonna tell me what to do, right? It's kind of the spirit of our, of our nation. I mean, remember, we founded our nation because of a revolution, right? I'm not saying that we have a bad nation. I'm just telling you, it's kind of in us that we just, we're our, we're our own captain of our own ship. But can I tell you, the authority of Jesus can be trusted. The authority of Jesus is safe. The authority of Jesus is not corrupt. The authority of Jesus actually brings freedom. See, faith is responding to life as if God really is in charge and Jesus is our rescuer. So God has authority and Jesus is our rescuer. Now, now listen, there's all different types of faith being expressed in the room today and online. There's the... Um, is God even real kind of faith? Or the I'm single and I don't like any of my options kind of faith? Or the I have a teenager that's about ready to drive kind of faith? Or I went through a painful divorce and I'm starting over kind of faith? Or the I lost my job and I have bills to pay kind of faith? Or I'm getting older and I wanna still have purpose in my retirement kind of faith? or I just had a baby and I have no clue what to do and I can't sleep kind of faith, or I'm the only one in my family that actually has faith and goes to church kind of faith, or I've made some dumb choices 
and I'm living in some consequences kind of faith. Or maybe the I recently gave my life to Jesus kind of faith. Or I received a diagnosis and I'm scared to death kind of faith. All kinds of faith. All kinds of faith that right now, I mean, this is the real world stuff, right? This is the stuff that, you know, we walk out back into. So, when we're fighting and searching and wrestling in our faith, we want to question if God really is in charge, if he really answers, if he really, prayers, if he really heals, if he really restores, if he really does all of these things. When we're wrestling with all this, how do we respond to these realities? Do we respond with a prayer that says, God, I don't understand, but I believe that you love me, that you're in charge, and you can help me. Because there's two kind of faiths that we can have. The centurion kind of faith that says, Jesus, you're in charge, help. Or the Nazarene kind of faith that says, I'm offended by your request, God, to trust you. Those are the two those are the two types of faith. And can I tell you that both types will amaze Jesus. Both types will surprise Jesus. But let's have the kind of faith that surprises Jesus when we say, I respond to the questions of this life as if I really believe that God is in charge and Jesus is my rescuer. So a closing verse says this in Hebrews chapter six. It says, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that he both, listen, he exists. In other words, he's real. He's not a figment of our imagination or a fairy tale that we tell little children. But rather he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. In other words, God, you're real, you exist, you're in charge, and Jesus, you are my rescuer. You love me, you care about me, even though everything in my circumstances right now says you don't, you do. City First, can we surprise Jesus with simple faith that believes that God loves us, he cares, and he can help us. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have you without anybody leaving. Um, I'm a little bit early here, okay? I'm giving myself time to do this, so don't use this as your excuse to get out to the parking lot quickly, okay? Let's all stand to our feet just for a moment because I think this is gonna be a sacred moment. I wanna pray for those that right now are wrestling in faith, and I believe there's a lot of you because even though I've been following Jesus for over three decades, I still wrestle in my faith. And I have to come back to that simple, simple thought. God, you're in charge of everything going on right now. Not saying you approve of it, not saying that you created it, but you're still in charge. You still got the whole world in your hands. And I believe you love me and Jesus is my rescuer. What is faith? Faith is saying, God, you're in charge. And Jesus, you're my rescuer. It's that simple. That's simple. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, if you say, I'm going through a battle right now. Maybe I mentioned your kind of faith in that list that I just said. Or maybe it's a different type of struggle you're going through. But right now you're going through a battle of faith. Maybe even a crisis of faith. And if that's you,
just go ahead. No one's gonna look. I'll keep my eyes open if that's cool. <laughs> but just raise your hand and say, I'm going through a battle. Yeah, hands are up everywhere. And I guarantee you every location. You may go ahead and put it down. Heavenly Father, I ask that right now that you would help my friends that raise their hands in auditoriums, in living rooms, listening right now in the gym, wherever they're at. Lord, I pray that you would give them just the ability to be like that centurion. It says, Jesus, God, you're in charge. And you can, you can do this. I believe you can heal. I believe you can restore. I believe that you can give me victory. I believe, Jesus, you're my rescuer. Help us to have that level of simplistic, elementary, but life-changing revolutionary faith. Lord, may today be an encouragement to everybody that raised their hands as they walk out of here that, Lord, you have their back. That you're with them. You're still in charge. And Jesus, you are coming to the rescue. Lord, give my friends boldness and courage and encouragement. May they have confidence in you and your word. Before I dismiss, if there's anybody with heads bowed and eyes closed, they say, you know what? I need Jesus to be a rescuer because another word for rescuer actually is savior. In fact, if you translate the word savior, it means rescuer. And we talk about Jesus being a savior for unto us this day a savior is born. We're gonna talk about that at Christmas. Meaning unto us this day a rescuer. Rescue us from what? From our sin, Rescue us from the wrong choices we made, our shame. We've all made wrong choices. And if you say today, I need a rescue. I need a rescue from my sin. I need a rescue from my wrong choices. It's not just circumstances. I need a rescue from, from me, the, the stuff that I've done. And I need forgiveness. Today, you're not joining a church. You're basically saying, Jesus, be my leader, the forgiver of my life. And if that's you, would just... Go ahead and raise your hand and say, I want to pray a prayer and make Jesus the rescuer. Yeah, hands are up everywhere. Can we all close today by saying this prayer together, whether you raised your hand or you didn't? Let's say it today, all right, together. Jesus, I need you to be my rescuer. Come into my heart. Change me. Forgive me for all I've done wrong. I believe you love me and you died for me. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can we give our, our friends who prayed that a huge round of applause? Best decision you've ever made.